record our show. Cecil still records it from his apartment, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, when we record with another voice we use, we record via Skype with two recorders at other ends and then match yeah, yeah, it up. Yeah. So it's a little yeah. little bit That's of jerry-rigging. Yeah, it's kind of a standard thing. And, um, yeah, and it's uh, pretty simple stuff. I mean, I don't think we have a mic... Uh, I don't think we have a like a recording device as nice as oh. as, as this. Actually, um, it's it's pretty cheap. Although you yeah. do have you have, you have nicer microphones, like more like actual professional microphones. These are. I don't want to oversell myself because these are. I think these are thirty dollars on. Oh, okay. So but this is. But this it's a funny story. Let, uh-huh. me, let me give you a, little, a quick funny uh, story, sure. which is related to the show. And that. <coughs> excuse me. I, I bought the Tascams first, and I had these really crummy microphones that I think mm-hmm. were like ten dollar microphones on mm-hmm. Amazon. And I interviewed uh, Reggie Watts. Yeah, went to his place, and I handed him a microphone. And he looks at it for a second. He pulls it off, goes into or pulls on his microphone, and puts, <laughs> and then puts his own on. So I'm like, you know what? I, at the very least, I want something that weighs like a real microphone that yeah. feels like you know that, that feels like a, a semi-legitimate thing because this is not a legitimate. Right, right. We're not in show. a recording yeah. studio, but we're in like a casual environment, yeah. right? So like the the. It benefits the show, not in the sense that you have like a, a radio station quality, like sure, padded walls, uh, yeah. but you have a you have a casual environment for like an yeah. easier conversation. Yeah. You know, we just Joseph and I just had to do a uh, a video shoot for our publisher uh, uh-huh. for just like a little old CD. CD-ROM? I don't know what. I'm, but that's that's a twenty-year-old that, technology. Yeah, but but it means like a it's like a disc that they that they send out, and like when they're you know putting the books out to libraries to okay. kind of familiarize people with what we do. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we just kind of like did a quick thing for the camera yeah. where we just kind of talked about our podcast and our book. It's a, I'm gonna guess DVD. I said <laughs> CD-ROM like, because I was born in 1975. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, yeah the uh, it was funny like sitting there in this like dark room where there's. An, we're just having to stare into this yeah. blackness where there's obviously a camera and yeah. some mics ahead above us. It's it's a very not conversational environment. I've so. had that. Yeah, I've had I've I've done a few uh, TV interviews for 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 various things, and the most off putting is is the one where you're 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 looking at a monitor. Yeah, there's no way your your show. Your show works remotely because it's more monologue based for the most part, and it's it's written. So yeah, you really only have to be looking at the words and thinking about yeah. the performance as you know. The, the only time it, it gets trickier is when we're doing live shows because we have script and audience to balance, and especially particularly Cecil who has yeah. the, the the lion's share of work sure, on the stage. Heavy lifting, yeah, yeah, he's uh, you know he gets really good at, at at balancing both. Like it's it's all about eye contact. It's all yeah. about bringing the audience into your world and giving back to them, and that give and take that happens. You know, you he, stare he's too a long theater guy yeah. naturally too. Yeah, so he's, yeah, that, he's come out of that background. Yeah, was that was that hard to translate the first time? I mean, it's uh, it, it was it was a little bit, but you know, some of it is it was going so fast that we didn't really have time to stop and mm. think about how yeah. hard it was. So a lot of that's the story of a lot of things, right? You don't realize sure. that something is hard or painful yeah. until later. You're like, oh, that was. Yeah. And, um, but you know, we all come. Almost all of us who work on the show come from theater, and so the idea of doing a live show in front of people just made sense, and it w- didn't seem that hard to do. the The main thing that we knew was going to be hard is writing a script that mm. wasn't just Cecil sitting at a table reading a script, yeah. or that felt like stuffy. You know, we all come from a type of theater that breaks the fourth wall. We all come from the. A lot of us are in the neo futurist theater company, yeah. which is very audience engaging. Uh, and and I think that 
we knew that we had to write a script that did that, that brought the audience along and used that audience energy rather than like performing a play that takes place in a fishbowl, right? Like yeah. a lot of times we watch theater or dance and we're, we, the audience, are just closed off in the dark and the thing happens on stage and then it goes dark and then you're like, that's done now. Yeah, live, live radio readings was, was a thing when, yeah. you know, when, when people would do radio plays uh, initially, but um, I don't know how much you can get away with that now. Yeah. People, people expect some kind of spectacle, right, if they're going to yeah. a live show. But you know what's funny is just that uh, there's, there, I don't know if you know the podcast The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when we got to know those guys, they really reached out to us kind of like right before we were thought, you know, were, were anybody. You yeah. know, they were like, oh, we found this thing is cool. We'd love to yeah. hang out with you guys. And they came to the show in New York one year and, and we said, uh, and they invited us to come watch. And, you know, we watched their show and it's great. And we just realized, you know, they have their actors, their performers have such charisma. They have, and they all have scripts in hand. They're, the only spectacle, really, in terms of the visual spectacle, is um, they're all dressed nice, <laughs> but they all step out to the microphones, they yeah. deliver their lines, and they step off, you know, and they. They all know how to physically embody their lines. They all know how to do it in a way where the audience sees their character without them really acting in a traditional theater sense, like uh, with costume and with blocking and all of these sorts of things. It's all very simple, but but yeah, this old time like radio theater drama sort of thing. I think also we're so used to stand-up comedy and we're so yeah. used to the persona of the person on stage driving it more than the content. And the persona is in podcasting is everything. It's it's very. It, 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 this is an interesting case though because you know I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of discussion of you know people not wanting not not wanting to see what the what the what the, what the faces behind the the voices sound like. I and mean, this yeah. is you know this is something that we've all had, especially with with radio. I, I, mm-hmm. Every instance of you actually meeting one of those people or actually mm-hmm. seeing a picture of them. It's not what you were picturing. You don't know what you were picturing. Uh-uh. You just have this like sort of vague. Yeah. You maybe you don't even have a vague idea. You just know when you see that first picture of that person that yeah. that's not what you expected that sound to be coming out of. Yeah. And that's a great way to phrase it. You don't know what they were. You know that's not what they look like yeah. in your mind, but you don't really know what they were supposed to look like yeah. in your mind. I had a lot yeah, of that yeah, as yeah. a kid where I'm like, but what did he look like? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Is, are, were you a radio guy? As a kid, yeah, I, yeah. I loved radio. I mean, I think the show didn't necessarily... It, it's definitely influenced by my love of radio, but it, it definitely came from... Joseph and I both love storytelling. Yeah. We both love the singular storyteller. Um, the guy who or the gal who gets up on stage mm-hmm. and just says, here's a mic, or here's a guitar, or here's a song, or sort here's a something. Moth yeah, style. Moth style, or like you could say Harry Chapin, or you yeah. could say, you could even go back to like Homer or whatever. You know, you, you, could, you really could say just yeah. somebody telling a story. Theatrical story. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but I think the radio stuff definitely influences that because, you, you know, I grew up listening to whatever radio I could. Like, I, I definitely, when I could get Art Bell, I would listen to Art I Bell. I was going to bring up Art Bell, because mm-hmm. this is not something that I've seen discussed a lot. You know, everybody mm-hmm. brings up the Twilight Zone as, as the easy one. I don't know, I don't know if it's because, for whatever reason, Art Bell isn't as much of a cultural touchstone, mm-hmm. but for me, um, I really got into radio, say around college, when I, when I started doing radio. Um, it was less of a thing for me growing up. I was a TV child, but yeah. I started listening to a lot, and I, I remember... Um, driving late at night one night mm-hmm. uh, I think I was doing a 3am shift and just spinning through the radio dial and her really horrific story about a werewolf spirit violating a woman and I was like this is I need to be listening to this what yeah. is this and that's it it, 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 it had this it was an, it, it was just a sort of idea of spinning a radio dial and, and not knowing what's out there and maybe you'll pick up on, on something amazing is 
it's it's kind of an intangible quality now, and it's and it's a hard thing to to I guess re- rediscover now that everything is available to us at all times. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is, and it's it's um what it, what radio for me always got to the heart of was was how intimate the the medium is, yeah. right? It's it. Art Bell is successful for all who listen to him because at the in the era when he was a cult popular figure, or actually before he left, right before yeah, what the, George what's the, Nori George Nori took over. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's still some popularity there, but I think he was a discovery because what happened is people would find him like you would or like I would, which is late at night yeah. on a radio, especially. And I don't I don't really know how federal regulations work now, but at, there was a time when you had to power down all of your towers late yeah. at night, and there were some towers that didn't have to or sure. something, and like so. That's why some, you get radio from Mexico. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's why like certain certain frequencies, yeah, come in come so far, so you could really get yeah. And I know he was syndicated too, so you can pop up through all sorts of. But there's something about being alone on a. You know, I grew up in Texas, so there's something about driving alone, like home from college through yeah. backwoods back to Dallas, and yeah. I would, uh, you know, hear something like that or, or anything, whether it's like Love Lines or even that. Like that was big in like the early '90s, and you yeah. have this thing where like this is funny or this is scary or even yeah. like political. Like you listen to like shitty right-wing political talk stuff and you just get fired up but there's something really intimate like it may i completely understand why people who listen every day to rush limbaugh are insane because you can really take that voice in sure he's got a great voice and he's got that that cadence and he's got a way of really really relating to you really seeps in your mind he's he's good with the bullet points and the the talking points but i think that's what radio does is so intimate and it really 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 seeps into you and especially now that we have earbuds it's a decidedly personal experience, yeah. even on the R train. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, I guess, I guess, what I was getting at in a way was just this, the the idea of um, finding something that you might never find again. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Of, of and and that's and that's that speaks to what you were talking about of just these sort of signals floating in from from God knows where mm-hmm. and the magic of you know the the weather the weather was right that night and yeah. you just have new listening to to the right time of night. I mean, I, that was something. I was ninety nine percent sure that I was the only person listening to it, and that uh-huh. I would never hear that show again. Yeah, the first yeah, time I heard it. yeah. I agree. There's something. There's something. Re- Here's a weird story that is not something that I never heard again. But it, it, and it sounds so strange now. But I remember I used to when I was in like, like kind of like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. This was this big thing where I like suddenly like we lived in a. You know, I had my own bedroom, and it was on the second floor, yeah. and uh, and so I, I, got, I took my mom's old tuner, the radio tuner, and I would bring it up there, and that's I would just hang out in my bedroom, and mm-hmm. uh, I, and I actually went to sleep pretty early, and I'd fall asleep listening to the radio. A lot of times it was just like Top 40 or some other sure. radio station, but um, I remember, I don't remember what year it would have been, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night to Tracy Chapman's song, Fast Car, huh. uh, which was her first big hit, you know, the yeah, song. Yeah, of I don't think I was really that. You know, we were a, a haunting song, isn't it? We were a top yeah. forty station, and mostly like country. Yeah. I would say more than anything, but not folk country like that honky tonk, like Hank Williams, sure. Waylon Jennings type of stuff, and bluegrassy. Yeah, Jerry Reed, things like yeah. that. And there wasn't there wasn't like a folk element. Like we didn't listen to Joan Baez growing yeah. up or anything. And so suddenly none of that I hear music. none of that hippie music, and I heard that song, and it's a haunting song, and it. It gave me bad dreams for a while because it was, and it took me a while to like recover and realize. But when I heard the song, I thought I had made it up. 
Yeah. I thought I was making it yeah. up and I thought I was yeah. dreaming because it yeah. was such a strange song and it was so awful sounding to me that I was like nobody would sing this like I you know and like later I understood like this is a great song but it was so different sounding but it was that similar moment of like I'm the only one having this and I and I have to remember how this song goes because it's so weird and, and yeah and and you know before before again before a time when it was easy to just you know type in a couple of lyrics into Google yeah and find that song um, do you do you remember do you remember actually discovering the song again that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was m- months later because yeah. I would say again, like the people I knew at that age weren't listening to a that. Lot of Tracy Chapman. Yeah, I really, it really wasn't <laughs> yeah. that. You know, had I been in college, it would have been different, right? Yeah. I think there, would, but I, I wasn't anywhere. Yeah. You know? So it, I was very, very young. But uh, yeah, I remember that standing out. And, yeah. Um, Anyways, that was no, but uh, it's such a relief though. I've, I've I've had that I've had that before. I mean, yeah. you know, it's still it's something that you, you you still have from time to time. I mean, you know, we've got. Shazam, but there are certainly instances. Uh, you know, I, for for I would say probably the better part of maybe two years, I had a riff from a Loving Spoonful song stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that song, you didn't have to be so nice. Oh, okay. Um, I'll hum it for you later, please. <laughs> yeah, but 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 there are still again there are cer- still certain intangibles mm-hmm. that. There's no way, you know. Maybe, maybe I guess you could sort of go around and hum it to the older people in your life, but otherwise, there's really no way of discovering that. So I don't know. Maybe there's still a little bit of that, yeah. of that out there. I mean, not not everything is is, is instantly available. No, but. there are still things like stupid things that aren't even that interesting to tell as a story here. But that there are those things that I remember growing up that. Like weird infomercials or weird products or songs or things that I think that I remember and I have yeah. a, and I try and Google them and I can't and I yeah. have the hardest time finding that they ever happened, which yeah. is pretty interesting too. To live in a in a world where there's things that you recall but you can't yeah. that were that were cultural. It wasn't just like yeah. something uh, you know something I drew in kindergarten, but it, like something that happened on television that I can't find proof that it happened sort of thing and yeah. nostalgia I don't you know nostalgia is it, it varies in terms of how actually satisfying it is to mm-hmm. actually to find that thing I mean, yeah. sometimes um, sometimes when it's weird regional things re, re, uh, you know I found some weird regional TV recently I'm from the Bay Area so we uh-huh. have our own things up there uh, it, it, it can it can be but um, I you know I, in in the um, you know, in the in the prep before I was speaking, uh, before the interview, I, I read an interview that you did where you told a, a sort of a, a real life ghost story that uh-huh. had happened to you about a, a gentleman off the side of the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's I mean, that, that's a that's a good instance of of you know if it being such a better story because you never knew what happened. You know, if you if you turn if you turn on the news, um, I don't know if you want to tell it mm. or if I should. Okay, sure. I'm happy to. Yeah, uh, and. Um, I uh, hopefully I retell it in, in yeah. the same way. But I, I um, it, I was in New Orleans, like in, it was like in two thousand. Which is already a spooky, which is already place. spooky yeah. place. And I was there for a conference. This is when I thought I wanted to be a teacher, and so I was yeah. there for a teacher conference. And um, anyway, so I had a friend that lived in Jackson, Mississippi. So I drove up late, you know, to see her, and we had dinner, and then I drove back to the conference like late at mm-hmm. night. So I think it was after midnight. You're I'm driving sure. from spooky place to spooky, spooky place. place to spooky place, and so I'm driving back and. Uh, the thing about that area of the country is it's all sw- swamp and yeah. marshland, yeah. and I mean, well, this is too, right? Like Jersey, but uh, sure. the northeast Jersey, but the um, somehow not the same. Yeah, it's so different, and all the highways are just basically on stilts in yeah. the marsh You've got and on, on either side. Yeah, yeah. Everything's a bridge. Everything's yeah. just a low riding flat bridge everywhere down there. And so I'm driving back, and I just saw way out in front of me a. Um, I just saw like a glowing orange yellow light, and yeah. I, I didn't know what it was, and I thought it was like a. 
like a road sign, highway sign, blinking sign. And then as I got closer and closer, I'm the only one out there. And then I, I got closer, and it looked like a flare. And then I realized it was um, something on fire. And um, I didn't really have – I didn't, must have had, like, a flip phone or something in that way. But I wasn't sure about, like – I was like, maybe I call. I don't know how 911 works on a cell yeah. phone in the middle of nowhere. I was living in Massachusetts at the time. And yeah. so I'm driving down there, and um, and I get closer and closer, and I just see – and it's just a car. It's just like a framework of a car, like clearly – just fully engulfed in flames. And I just – I had this moment of wondering, like, okay, now I have to call because somebody's in – like somebody yeah. could be injured. Should I pull over? And then I see a man probably – in my mind, it was like 100 feet away from the car. Um, just a man standing yeah. I say a man it was just a figure somebody standing there about 100 feet away just smoking a cigarette leaning against a guardrail that was it that was the thing and I passed on by and I, I, in my, I don't remember if I called or not I remember that I did but I don't yeah. recall officially like what I would have said or how I would have described that so maybe I didn't but I do remember the guy standing there smoking and the car on fire and it was really yeah. I, I, there's a million things that could have happened there yeah. did you um you know, did you did you did you rush back to the computer or, or watch the news or try to figure out you know what what had happened? No, and at the time I only had a desktop computer. Mm. It was back at home. I didn't have a laptop yeah. with me. This sort of this was two, yeah. This is like August two thousand four uh, when I was at that conference in New Orleans. So pre Katrina, um, I was sharing a room with somebody else at the conference. I didn't know like that's how uh, it was. And I uh, um, yeah, so I just got back to the room. He was still out, and I was like, "I'm just going to bed." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, that, and that's what I was, what I was getting at. Is that, you know, it's just, I, you know, I wonder if you know if you had if you had found out what had happened. If, yeah. If, the story would be the story that it is today. No, I mean I probably looked around in, in like online the next yeah. day when we had access to computers and things like yeah. that. But I, it, again, like I will generally do that if, if an accident happens. Uh, there were fire trucks in my neighborhood in Bay yeah. Ridge the other night, and yeah, yeah, yeah. searching around looking Twitter, for that. And, yeah, and uh, it seemed. It seemed like nothing major had happened, but there was just a lot of fire trucks. Yeah. But I don't know what happened. So, but, but the story, thing, but yeah. the story would would have been, you know, and, and you and you had told this ori- originally in a reference to mm-hmm. to ghost stories or two spooky things yeah. that happened to you, and and if you had found out, the story would have been, oh yeah, but then <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, you know, I found out that it was a junk fire or whatever. Right. It wouldn't have been. It would have been the same story, and I don't know that it would have held the same impact no not at all it's the mystery of that this this faceless person just like so casually so there's something kind of like rorschach from watchmen about it like there's this like really spooky faceless dude standing by just like i did something really sinister but i'm not gonna let you know what it is i mean that's and that's that's always what makes for for a good horror story or or ghost story is not not pulling back the curtain i will say this though Mm -hmm. um Getting getting slightly back to, to Art Bell, but it, it does relate in. Um, I for for work uh, about three years ago um, when when I was working at Engadget, um, I drove to Pahrump, Nevada, mm-hmm. uh, which is about an hour out, hour and a half outside of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it for uh, one of the, the co-founders of Apple lives out there now. Okay, but, but you know you recognize the name Prump as mm-hmm. that's. Where Art Bell is, that's the, yeah. the Valley of Nye, and just and this is and this is, but it's it's one, it's one instance of, you know, I, I really I, I didn't have the druthers do it. I wish I wish I had. I, I'm mm-hmm. sure that he gets all sorts of weirdos by mm-hmm. his door, but you know, I was, I was asking around town because he's one of two famous people associated uh-huh. with this small desert town. Uh-huh. Um, and I was asking, you know, where where Art Bell's located, and you drive down this long road. It just sort of stops at the end, uh-huh. and at one end is the what was it called? I think it's called the Chicken Shack. 
okay. which is one of the lethal, le- lethal legal brothels in uh-huh. Nevada. Wow. Um, used to be the best little whorehouse in Texas. Okay. But they, but when they outlawed prostitution in Texas, they moved it to. Oh wow, Nevada. that's funny. But you drive when 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 you're driving down the road, you drive past this hill that's just covered in antenna, and wow. that's that's wow. where our bell is. Wow. And he's. I, you know, and, and and you know, again, it's something where you don't want to pull back the curtain. But in that case, mm-hmm. that's I mean, that's you know, and I think that's I think it's part of why your show sort of like touches on something for me at least is that I feel like I've experienced. There's something about that area. I mean, yeah. you know, Nevada isn't quite Arizona, but it's or New Mexico, but it's the same. It's kind of the same. Yeah. What is it? What is it about the Southwest? I it's. There's some kind of impossibility of life there. Yeah. This is impossible. Las, yeah. Las Vegas is a completely impossible city. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and while we don't, our show is nothing like Las Vegas, yeah. it is in some way because it, the, there's this possibly glowing city that everyone wants to be there. And, and the other thing that's interesting about that, that city, too, again, the only that's the only city in Las Vegas I've gone, gone to, but I, I found it really Nevada. fascinating. And, and, yeah. yeah, Las yeah. Vegas in Nevada. Yeah. And uh, But the thing that I found so fascinating was is that outside of the city, there's nothing. Yeah. You fly into the airport and there's just nothing And there's nothing. It. And you look yeah. at a map of it and it just stops. Yeah. And, and most cities have a suburban or rural crawl just outside of it. Sure. And, Los Angeles is a desert, but yeah. there's a lot around Los Angeles. Yeah. And so... Yeah, because you get on into like uh, Orange County and yeah, Inland Empire and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and, and uh, but I think uh, yeah, I think that's part of it. I, th- I think the other thing is is that um, there's the obvious, which is the history there. When you talk about Area 51, or you talk about the Manhattan Project, yeah. or when you, when you talk about kind of the the idea of a place for military experiments or experiments in general, and also I thought about this when watching. Breaking Bad, right? Like the idea yeah. that there's a lawlessness to the desert. When yeah. things go out in the desert, there's you're in outer space. There are no. You drive no, your RV out, yeah. and you make meth. Yeah, and you yeah. make meth, or you have a shootout yeah. there, and things like that. The idea of like killing a fed in the middle of the desert, yeah. um, or killing a big drug dealer in the middle of the desert, anything like that is is not something that. Um, yeah, it's it's not as it's kind of like the ocean, and it's kind of like uh, the uh, it's kind of like the water, or the East River in a mafia movie. Right? Yeah. Like you can ditch the body in the East River, and nobody's ever yeah, going to find yeah. it. And I think the desert has that same aura to it. Like something or the can happen there. In the yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Is, does does Texas have that that quality for you at all? Yeah, I mean Texas is so vast. I mean that that western western Texas west Texas is is. Um, has has that kind of like s- sprawling desert quality to yeah. it. It's different than than what's going on in in Las Vegas and and uh, I keep saying Las Vegas when I really mean Nevada, yeah. but it's so different than like Arizona and Nevada. Yeah. But I think it has that element to it. Texas is more densely populated, obviously, and I grew up in East Texas, so um, I think more about like the influence of Nightville for me comes from my suburban growing up. Like it, hmm. I think more about. Um, the radio station I listened to as a teenager uh, was KUM 88.3, which is now 88.5 FM in Mesquite, Texas. And it's a giant radio tower yeah. o- uh, that overlooks a giant football stadium yeah. um, and uh, right along the highway. And um, they played hits of the 60s and 70s and 80s, I believe, mm-hmm. and um, probably 50s, 60s, 70s when I was yeah. growing up. But yeah. they... Um, Kind of like twenty-year-old music, and it was uh, you get a lot of Tommy and the Shondells and things like sure. that, and then you would get. Um, but in the afternoons, especially in high school, my, I had some friends that worked in uh, that you could 
you were in journalism, you could get into the radio program, which I never did. But I had friends that did that. So the afternoon times, they would do weather mm. and sports and traffic updates. Sure. And, familiar faces on Yeah, there. and so I'd listen yeah. to my friends on there. I'd listen to them, like, stumble over how to pronounce Ackard Street in downtown yeah. Dallas. And yeah. would listen to them, like, uh, give weather reports and things like that. So I listened to a lot of that. And there's something so quaint and interesting and so mundane about community radio in that way Um, but it's delightful and it's wonderful because it gives you it compacts your world a lot it makes you have to think about less I don't have to think about how Obama is terming uh, how how what words he's using to describe yeah. terrorism? I yeah, can yeah, yeah. I can really really think just really about like oh there's a craft fair going on yeah. now, um, you know going up my wife and I go upstate a lot and you know listening to like the Woodstock radio there is really wonderful because yeah. it's just it feels so feels so uh, compacted like everything's there. I hear about things that are just affecting this area. I hear about. Uh, changes in service and I hear things yeah. like that. Even 1010 Winds has that quality for me sometimes just because I love the traffic on yeah. there. I find it infuriating. Just, it's just, awful. Just how, how often it repeats. But that's but the traffic when the yeah. traffic comes around I'm like yes yeah. this, this I'm not, may not even be in a car and I'll be yeah. like yes I, now I know my world like I yeah. have to find boundaries and I, I think there's something about that in radio of what it does for you. There's something yeah there's something comforting in the idea like because you know the people who really have the power to destroy the world are not the people who are going to make it on these hyper local stations. Yeah. Are. I just need to know about alternate side parking. Yeah, yeah. That's really what I'm curious yeah. about right now. That was, yeah. Alternate side parking. Yeah. Again, like growing up in California and, and having heard that occasionally, I think on Seinfeld, having no idea. What <laughs> is that a specifically New York thing? It seems to be, or like it, it's a very New York-y thing. It's a very New York thing because yeah. you, you, everyone has to park on the street here. I'm, I'm sure other big cities yeah. have it in, in their areas. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I know there's streets, street, street sweeping in Chicago and Dallas yeah. and all sorts of places like that, but um, almost everybody has yeah. to park on a street here. Um, but it's it's got the thing about alternate side parking again, um, uh, as far as something that I would hear and never think about uh-huh. and not know what it meant. I mean, you can sort of figure it out from the words, but yeah. there's a weird, it's almost a weird bit of poetry there. There's Three words that kind of sound nice together. You know, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this trope. It's, it's you know, it's hearing a song that you know that you know maybe you don't understand every word in, but it's just maybe it's the rhythm, maybe it's the pattern, maybe it's the repetition. Yeah, there's something almost almost musical about hearing it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is. It is. It's uh, alternate. Side. I was trying to see if it was like a like an iamb or a trochee or yeah. something like <laughs> that, but I was uh, yeah. yeah. I. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I agree, and I it's also like a mystical regional word for me too. Like, there's a lot about when yeah. I moved to New England, and then later when I moved to New York. Yeah. Um, about I think terminology I've always loved, like very specific regional words, yeah. and uh, you know things like when I moved to to Massachusetts, like accents are really great. But then the the idea too, like uh, in Providence. In Rhode Island and in Worcester, Massachusetts, yeah. both like kind of that area of the country. Um, this is when I was a teacher. The uh, kids, the, the packy store, the kids, uh, the package store, yeah. and um, but no, the other thing was the the water fountain. What did you call it growing up? If you wanted to go to get a drink from the your class, fountain. the water fountain. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we may have called it drinking fountain, but water fountain. Oh, drinking was, fountain yeah, sure, drinking sure. fountain, yeah, yeah. water fountain. But um, I never heard this. Tom moved there, and the the kids called it a bubbler. 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 
it's well, pretty, bubbler, but yeah, yeah it's it's, it's, Wor- it's Worcester, Massachusetts, yeah, yeah. as a bubbler. Yeah, it's great. And uh, and yeah. I know it, I just I was like, that's amazing. But yeah. I had the same thing as you, where if you don't live in New York City, yeah. you kind of already sort of know what life is like in New York City because sure. New York City is so ubiquitous yeah. in television Culture, shows, yeah. and, and LA is the same way. Yeah. So I think I think when I when I go to LA, I really do get sort of excited because I didn't grow up there. I'm yeah. not there very often, but I'm so familiar with it. There's it's actually kind of a weird form of nostalgia, right? Like I ha- I'm nostalgic sure. for something sure, I sure, grew sure. up seeing secondhand, yeah. and yeah. that's kind of how New York was for me too. So alternate side parking is a thing too. Yeah. I, uh, I you know the other thing is is like when you see uh, when you see any type of like landmark or something. You know my old office. Yeah. The, I used to use the gym next to it, and I could be on a treadmill and staring at the Empire State mm-hmm. Building. And that was the craziest thing yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice. It's uh, you know some uh, you know even even I've, I've been here for I, I guess about a, a dozen years now. But some some of the magic doesn't go. I'm, I'm one of those people who who won't ever complain about the snow. Mm-hmm. You know, I just because I didn't. It's still even even the gross New York snow. There's still mm-hmm. there's still something magical when it snows. Yeah. Um, you, you, you touched on something earlier, which is just kind of interesting. The idea of of suburban radio mm-hmm. being being an influence. Um, and I and I think that there's something kind of fascinating at play in the in the narrative of the show, and this is something that fits really well again into the Southwest setting of, um, you know, because again the Southwest is sort of a, a, a sparse place, and you can go, you know, some, not something we experience here or something, you know, but you can go for a while and, and not run into anybody, but contained within that is a community. It's a show that wouldn't work if it was just out in the desert right? right if there if there you know if, if there wasn't a town if there weren't people around yeah so you're playing with these sort of these two two different ideas where i get the idea that there's this town and these people and then a darkness yeah beyond them. yeah that's kind of the idea like that's yeah. how i think of uh desert cities is in like there's a and and what that darkness is is not specific in yeah. the show yet i mean i think joseph and i both have ideas yet. about and we have talked a lot about like where is it? What's it doing? Things like that. And some yeah. of those things we don't care to ever answer for ourselves or for anybody. And some of those things we do have a couple of answers for, and we're yeah. you know kind of figuring out. And it, it's the idea of playing with uh, you know, playing with that very notion of here's a town and it's completely isolated from everything else. Yeah, that's really that's really what it is. And so it's drawing that boundary around a community. Yeah. And sometimes you draw that boundary by just saying I'm a radio station, so I'm going to tell you only the things that affect you. Um, and sometimes you draw that boundary by uh, putting on your sports hat or whatever you know when you when you say like i hate stupid desert bluffs like this idea of this other town sucks like the classic like shelbyville Shelbyville, thing thing. and uh uh or eagle uh what's uh eagleton Eagleton. yeah yeah that that thing i mean i think that's the classic small town thing that we always hate this other town yeah yeah and um so yeah i think that was uh that's the idea of drawing that boundary around Night Vale to say you're in this city and this yeah. city has its own special thing just like every city has its own special thing with Night Vale obviously it's so different than anything yeah. realistically in America um, but that's kind of what makes it so special so yeah I mean that, that's interesting I don't, I don't know I don't know how, how much you can or care to spell that out but you know if it's if Los Angeles' special thing is uh-huh. is is you know Hollywood and Las Vegas is gambling, what is what is what is Night Vale's special thing? Um, I think I think it's simpler than those two things. I think it doesn't necessarily have an industry mm-hmm. per se in that way, but I do think I, I I mean it really just comes down from the from the 
core creative thought that went into creating the city, which was the hypothetical question, what if you had a town where every conspiracy theory were true yeah. and you just yeah. went on from there? And so I think we play with it in that way. Yeah. And it enables us to do some kind of weird horror, supernatural elements, but it also enables us to play around with the idea that they're just like helicopters there protecting us. And some of them are really bad and they take our children. And yeah. just stay away from those and we should be fine. But uh, actually, they might be okay. I have no yeah. idea yet. And we're all like, okay. It's kind of like, um, and I think it's just a way, in some ways, if you want to be satirical about it, we could, which was not our intent. But we have talked about it and had people say things like, well, it's very similar to the way we look at fracking now, right? Like, it's, uh, it's good for us. I mean, mm-hmm. it may be harmful, but I'm not sure. It's probably yeah. fine. Yeah. And then a lot of people are like, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. You know, those helicopters, they're fine. And so I think that there's something about that. I think there's this idea that we have, um, in Night Vale, you have a tightly controlled authoritarian government and even sort of like corporate-owned government in some ways, even with or without the Strex Corp thing. Like, there's yeah. always there's always hidden forces that control everything that happens. Like, you have no free will. You have everything is guarded. And everybody's sort of fine with that because we all have other worries. You know, we all have the worries within our own families. We all have the worries within our jobs. We all have the worries about some specific thing trying to kill us, not... Yeah, the giant industry of of, of everyday life. Lo- local radio versus national radio. Again, yeah, getting, yeah, getting back to that. Um, again, I know this is a comparison that's that, that that's drawn a lot. This might be a little too too on the nose, but um, you pe- people do bring up the Twilight Zone, and there is there is that episode. What is it? The uh, the neighbors episode. I can't remember what it's called. I may not have ever seen this one, but I know. Yeah, it, it's uh, um, just kind of where something horrible is happening next door. Mm-hmm. Maybe the burbs is an example. Okay, you get yeah. behind, right? <laughs> but just this, this <clears throat> just this notion of um, God, something. Yeah, camera. Something. Those neighbors next door. Or something. I, anyway, but it's uh, but 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 the idea of um, perfect communities and the idea of, of something really. A, a in one sense, you know, something something potentially ominous happening around them, and nobody paying attention because of the perfect community. Mm-hmm. Uh, step for lives, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a good one. Um, uh, or 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 the flip side of that, which is more, I think, if I'm remembering the Twilight Zone episode correctly, I think it. I'm sure, given when it was made, I'm sure it was. Um, I'm sure it was about communism. In some sure, sense. yeah, had to have been, yeah. Uh, but but you know the, the the two sides of this coin are um, uh, you know uh, living with blinders on mm-hmm. um, you know for the sake of keeping your perfect life uh, or um, uh, the idea of, of again um, outsiders in the community and mm-hmm. and and projecting yeah. these ominous deeds onto them. I mean, which I, I guess I guess I guess Nightfield would probably be the former of yeah. those two, right? I mean, because because if it looks like it's below the surface, it, it probably is below the surface. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it comes from a place of like, yeah, I think it's both in some ways because I think there's an idea of at least from my point of view, and I'm not speaking for Joseph here yeah. in writing because uh, we we both have our own kind of like interests that we're playing around with. But I, for me, I'm always I'm always curious about the idea of a, of of what it means to be like communally involved, right? And I don't mean like community activism, like in a way of like let's yeah. do a big cleanup. But yeah. I mean that's part of it. But what it means to have, what it means to have a neighborhood where everybody says hi to each other. And I know that that's kind of this like old timey American mm-hmm. ideal. Like nobody makes eye contact anymore. Neighbors never talk to each other. Nobody, and and that's in some ways a big shame. 
Um, but in other ways, it's a great thing because we've individualized, and individualism is really wonderful, and then it's also terrible. Yeah. But what's wonderful about individualism is, is that we're all able to find who we are, and we're all able not to be told because you are transgender or because you are uh, a you know, and it's uh, or because you are gay, or because you are a woman, or because you are uh, of a different race or yeah. culture, that you don't belong here. Obviously, that's still happening. We're not living in a utopic society, but I think individualism has helped us yeah. as a society learn everybody's really different, and we should be able to be open to those expectations yeah. of how different everyone will be. And I think that that's a great thing about individualism. The terrible part about individualism is is that fear of. You know, as I approach 40 this year, I think about, oh, when am I going to get old and die? And who will, if I'm living alone, who will sure. check on me? Sure. Right? Like, there's there's that thing. of, um, And also just that, that neighborly thing that kind of keeps us all in touch with our communities. Because individualism leads to us all listening to Rush Limbaugh mm. <laughs> and watching the fucking TV news and basically getting big picture things about, like, what is Obama is invi- doing? Yeah, is that individualism? Is Rush Limbaugh individualism? Or is, is the problem with Rush Limbaugh group thing? I mean, it's group thing, but it's connected individually, right? Like, mm-hmm. because it's one person reaching out and, and we're all receiving it individually. We're not yeah. having, like, an open... We're not having, like, sure. a daily dialogue of things. Sure. Conversely, the whole kind of, like, pool hall mentality of, like, all the guys gathered at the pool hall, the ladies are yeah. in sewing circles and everybody like that. Um, definitely genderizes the nation yeah. and it also keeps everybody in their slots right sure. so i don't know it, it's a it's it goes both ways right yeah. it's not just because you're right the rush limbaugh the tv news phenomenon is also a, a big communal yeah. thing but it um yeah i think it's battling back and forth between yeah. that happy meeting a medium of like how we how we find peace and so going back to the night thing like that's the invention of like the interloper thing like the, the quaint communal thing that everybody thinks is really friendly to do yeah. in night is if you see a stranger just point and shout interloper as loud as you can at them and um and i think that that's to me like that's the utmost in yeah. like cultural miscommunication and I, I wanted to in writing that particular thing like i really wanted to play with that idea of what it means to be a community versus yeah. a suspicious community and if a community all thinks they're communicating in a friendly way to yeah. you yeah then they they are but then in your way you're probably completely threatened if you show up i like town. that the, the, the idea the, the idea of, of the, the the cultural custom i mean there's you know you go to you go to europe and people are going to kiss you on the cheeks mm-hmm. most of these cultural customs that we have are somewhat universal from the standpoint of you know i I, I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe maybe certain cultures are more prone to you know burp during a meal, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's a little bit rude. But but nothing sort of overtly yeah. offensive. And this is this is just taking that to its to its absolute extreme. Yeah, yeah, or showing your feet or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the bottoms of your feet. That, yeah. But that was that's the basic idea. And so I think I think the idea of like neighborliness comes up a lot when I you know when we write Night Vale too, yeah. of like how neighbors relate to each other because it gives us a chance to kind of deal with. I think kind of the isolation and sadness that comes with individualism. We refer to the town as being sort of like yeah. sad and, and people who stare at the sky and get terrified. And, yeah. uh, and I think we all do that at yeah. some point in our lives and to, to varying degrees of intensity. And so it also gives us a chance to be like, oh, they're all having like a big PTA bake sale at the rec center and, or they're having a you know big thing the, at Dark Owl Records. And, um, and it gives us a chance to see in the way that everybody's super happy interacting in this really what seems to us like a really awful way yeah uh, yeah yeah um l- a little bit a little bit of the the adams family munster syndrome right? yeah yeah perfectly normal normal for them yeah uh how is 
again, how is living in this sort of cult, the cultural antithesis to the Southwest? How has how, how how that affected your point of view of like the old, the capital of individualism, you know, the capital of these sort of tiny, uh-huh. these tiny apartments of of not walking down the street and acknowledging other people's existence. I mean, you're, you're kind of working on the, yeah. on the opposite end of the, or living in the opposite end of the spectrum. I think I have to, I, I must be bringing, I have to be bringing, I think about that a lot. Like I, I think about like how New York influences how I think about Night Vale, yeah. especially when we were writing the novel and we were, you just, you can, you can describe so much more with like a novel language than you can with radio show yeah. motif. Uh, and so we did spend a lot of time talking about what the town was like and what it looks like and describing it. And uh, and I think a lot about New York. Like, I envision New York a lot. Not necessarily the streets and the buildings, but the, the way people interact, right? And there's something sort of surreal about New York. Because New York is a... I find a very friendly town. Yeah. But, but just... People just don't have time for your for your shit if, if you need something somebody will help you yeah. you know if you have your map out in Soho people will come running to help yeah. you out yeah. to tell you where to go and they're happy to do it um, but for the most part like if you are in line to get a bagel and you're t- like um I want yeah. a like yeah. and move 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 and like uh, you know people jump in front of you and like I want to pop you a scallion and, let's go yeah. and, um, and I think that that's yeah, that's kind of how, and I think that the, those rules of New York City I find really interesting. Uh, the idea that there's a street sweeping day. We, when we, and you know, when Joseph wrote the street cleaning day episode, it really was about the idea that the street sweeper is coming. Like, there's this whole like, get your cars off the road. We got to get, yeah. you know, you don't want to get a ticket, whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, there's something about creating that same rule for Night Vale too. That there's the, yeah. that that it means something very different there. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I've, n- I've never, I, I never thought of it that way. But you know, that's that's a an interesting trope to play with, and you know, especially in yeah. um, uh, horror is not the right word. But I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sort of like dropping all these cultural references, uh-huh. but they seem they seem appropriate. Um, I'm thinking of like. I don't know, like like the lottery by Shirley Jackson or something, yeah. or or or, uh, or or just the sort of the idea of you know, I, I guess that's in some ways an opposite, but the idea of the, this anonymous uh, threat. Mm-hmm. Coming. I mean, that, that's that's an interesting thing to play with. It's never, yeah, absolutely never made that connection with the street sweeper before. But I, I there's something there. Right? Yeah, and well, and I think the difference between like Shirley, the lottery is a great example, or uh, you know that that. And I think the difference between Night Vale and the lottery, the world of the lottery and the world of Night Vale is is that at the end of the lottery, the terror of what's happening is the realization that they just pulled this woman out and they're going to stone her to death. That's what's going to happen. And she doesn't want to die like any of us. She doesn't want to die. And and she's just having a normal life. And like, I didn't ask for this. And I think with Night Vale, I think there's something about the idea that we don't address specifically that horror. It's more a matter of like that everybody everybody's fine with that. Like we have a whole thing about <laughs> there's there's a lottery where you get fed to the petting zoo wolves yeah. or whatever. And I think there's like a you know we had a bit in the library in our live show about uh, the the PTA fundraiser and that there was a live auction or there's a raffle drawing in the winner they would uh, the winner of the raffle would get hunted, cleaned, and killed. You know what I mean? Like this idea yeah. that people willingly are... It's not even yeah. a... It's not a drawing. It's like a, a raffle to do this. Yeah. Like, okay, here's my 20 bucks. And I think that that's the difference is, is that we're able to play with the humor there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's... That we're, we all kind of willingly... 
we all we all kind of like willingly accept that death is an end in some ways, but in other ways we're terrified. And sure. I think it's just scrambling the logic of the real world, yeah. right? Like as a former smoker, I could say there was a time in my life in my twenties where I was just like, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway. This is just great. I'm just enjoying it. Yeah. This is awesome. Smoking yeah. is great. Like like I, I was running like a, a 1980s Dennis Leary routine or something like to myself all the time. Yeah. But there's this thing like, oh, I willfully accept death. I mean. I love driving well. I love driving, driving, crazy dangerous. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the food that we all eat is crazy dangerous. It's killing us all the time. But there's the thing about, like, we risk death in some way for the enjoyment of it. But at other times, you know, ISIS comes on or there's a plane crash. And plane, yeah. cra- plane travel is so safe. Yeah. But a plane crash happens and suddenly we're all like, oh, my God, are they not taking yeah. care of planes? What are they doing? I can't get on a plane now. And um, so I think what terrifies us is ever-changing, right? Remember when yeah. mad cow disease was a thing? Sure. Like, that's really weird. Sure, sure. It's not a thing anymore. How sure. is it not a thing? Nobody There's, ever told us. There were several animal-related diseases that have been around over the yeah. past few decades. Yeah, So, and maybe it still is a thing. We're just not told it is, and I think that's yeah. where the I think they stopped stop, stop feeding cows to cows or, or oh, okay, doing good. it less. I think that's <laughs> thank, what was causing... I think that's what was causing the mad cow yeah, disease, yeah, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. It was literally yeah. cows eating cows. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That, that I... Uh, Tell me if I'm completely off base if this plays into that idea at all, but this is something I think this and this also speaks to what we were speaking to earlier. Um, this is something I, I think about on, on, on occasion, thankfully a very rare mm-hmm. occasion, but uh, as a kid uh, I remember uh, watching a, it was a Looney Tunes episode that jumps out. Uh-huh. Um, they, they're, uh, do, you remember, do, you remember the, do you remember the bits where, where uh, Porky Pig would be a talent agent? Okay. Yes. Uh, so these people would just sort of come in and do like that. It was just a way of like doing like little little bits, right? Okay. Yeah. There was like a parrot so that sounded vaguely like, familiar, like Bing Crosby. And okay. All yeah. Things. And uh, <laughs> I remember. Um, <laughs> I'm telling the story. I remember a, uh, a character comes on and um, does a does a bit that this is super dark. A bit that involves <laughs> him. <laughs> Uh, I think shooting himself in the head and turning into an angel, right? Oh my god! I don't recall this bit, but that yeah, yeah, yeah. that seems very like old time Looney yeah, Tunes yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and you're you're already you're already crossing a weird line in there where you know there, there's always some sort of some notion of the afterlife, which you don't get in most of Looney Tunes. Yeah, you'll get it from time to time. You know, you'll get like angels and maybe even like Grim Reapers, uh, but. Porky finally says, because the, the whole bit is just about all these terrible people coming in, and Porky says, "Oh, that's great! You've got it. Like we've like you're you're hired. Like we finally found the right uh-huh. the right bit." And he says, "Oh, but I can only do that trick once." Uh-huh. And with that, with that punchline, you've you've crossed <laughs> over, right? Uh-huh. You've totally blurred that line uh-huh. between everything you know about Looney Tunes, everything you know about Cartoon Death, uh-huh. and reality. It was dark. It was it really, really it dark. Really, I'm gonna really have to look. Haunted me. That's. Oh, we'll go back to like. Let's, let's go Google that and see if we can let find me see something. If, yeah. Let me see if it does d- d- does exist. I would love um, to. Would, oh my god! Yeah, that's super dark. But that's but that's what it is, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's it's the um, because in in order to this is uh, something I think a lot about um, partially as, as a New Yorker, as somebody's gotten really good of, of at um, drowning out the noise. Yeah, who's trying to get worse at it? You yeah, know, who's trying to like meditate and live yeah. in the moment and all these other things and it's there's just no there's no way to that's the thing there's no way to live in the moment in New York City without driving yourself completely mad yeah yeah. and you have to do that and you have to do that with death yeah you can't you can't think about the inevitability of death all the no. time no 
No. And it, occasionally, occasionally something bleeds through. Yeah. And it and it and it hits close to hell. Yeah, and I think in that way, like Night Vale overlays society. It just they're they're less concerned about some things and more concerned about other things. There yeah. are things that will kill you in Night Vale that would never kill you here, yeah. and there are things that will kill you here that they're never thinking about in Night Vale. And um, but but I just like scrambling those things because yeah. the the history of uh, the history of humanity of Western. Uh, we'll say let's let me say at least Western cultures. I feel like I uh, know more about that, but I, I would say that like I think about. I think about like somebody like Neil Postman. Here's here's a boring topic, but like somebody like Neil Postman. We're forty eight minutes in. Sure. At this point, if they're listening, great. it's on them. But I, I think about like a book, Disappearance of Childhood, and what was really open, eye opening to me about that was just like how differently we've changed what childhood means culturally, okay. how we protect children, yeah. and the idea that eventually we invented children in order to yeah. protect children. But there was a there was time a story where, that came out. You remember like a, a week or two ago about the kids who had to walk a mile. Oh yeah, and, and authorities were were investigating the parents for, for yeah. neglect. And we and we have this weird thing now where uh, and culture is always shifting, right? Because the idea of what the idea when people were writing the things that eventually became the Bible, right? Like the 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 idea of what it meant to be gay was completely different yeah. than what it is now sure. as a cultural touchstone. Sure. And the laws there or were black or, or, or black or all for completely yeah. different reasons yeah. than what we have now and because we're always changing culturally we're always shifting what's appropriate and what's not um, because it sounds crazy to us now but the idea that there existed a time when it was completely acceptable to just like sort of like well it's you smoking again to just sit there like I could just be like blowing smoke in your yeah. face and, and, yeah. and uh, or you know uh, domestic we say domestic abuse but just like hitting a woman was yeah. really what it came down to right, yeah. like that, and that uh, your wife, or the idea that you have to have a wife, the idea that there even needs to be marriage is changing now, and the idea that that's a bad thing is changing now, right? When we grew up, it was like divorce is this awful thing, you know, marriage is falling apart. And nowadays, there are, I know a lot more people who are in their twenties who are like, well, we'll get married because like that's just what you have to do legally because sure. I need to make sure that my affairs are in order. Yeah. Health but insurance. we don't. But like, it's the idea of marriage is so patriarchal and so stupid. Yeah. And, and I do think that marriage is crumbling, and I do think it's a good thing. And, and I think that for a lot of people, maybe not for everybody, but I think it's great that we're opening up different cultural paths for more than one set of society. And I think that that's what I hope Nightville like pokes at that for people. I hope it lets people know that all of it's silly. We all just take whatever. Cecil, whatever, whatever, or uh, yeah. or or Rush Limbaugh, or John Stewart, or whatever it is that's filtering all of our news for us, uh, gives us a way to process society and tells us this is what's important. Yeah. This is what you should be scared of. And right now, it's ISIS. And maybe somebody listens to this podcast ten years from now, and they're like, "Really? They were talking about ISIS?" Because when I was a kid, we were talking about the Russians. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe we should worry about the Russians again. I don't yeah. know. But I, again, it's it's ever changing, and I think that's what Nightville touches on. Yeah. It's the idea of like, it's always going to be X can really kill you, and Y is what you're afraid of. But what What's really interesting to me about Nightville as a phenomenon, it's not independent in this, but I think what what's unique about it is how quickly everything seemed to, to happen mm-hmm. for you guys. But um, the idea of a of there being this group of people, um, but them not really knowing that they were a group of people, that them really not knowing that there was something that they were all waiting for necessarily to connect them. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap in interests. I'm sure that before, you know, before Night Vale came along, they were, you know, a lot of them were parts of the same message boards. But, uh-huh. but, but that's 
in, 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 a, in a strange way, it seems to have, have unlocked something, right? I mean, because there wasn't... I, I don't know. It's one of it's one of those. I mean, the, the Daily Show is, is maybe maybe a, a good example. There are certainly some like analogs to, to the Daily Show, but um, it was something that came along and, and formed a group out of it, a, a, a group of people who were connected in a way, but didn't necessarily have that voice and have yeah. that that thing to tune into every night or, yeah. or every other week. What what? This is we're getting really abstract with this mm-hmm. one, but you know, and and I'm sure this is something you've thought about a lot because because in in you've been asked this in various forms. But what 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 is is there a thing that that is there an overarching um, idea? Is there an overarching interest? Is there uh, that, that that sort of unites this mm-hmm. this group of people? I mean, I think if you were to say like. If I were to say demographically, yeah. it's it's people who like the supernatural, people who like uh, comic books, people who like uh, superheroes, fantasy, and I think dark storytelling. Right? Yeah. Like um, when we first started realizing we were getting popular, we thought it was um, we noticed the Hannibal fans. It was the first season of Hannibal okay. was on NBC, yeah. and Hannibal fans were everywhere, and there was just a lot of. I don't. I think that was just coincidental. I think it's just that that's we were blowing up at the time that Hannibal was on the air, so the people that liked us anyway were just at the time really into Hannibal because it was. But the you middle. do have you have an existing group of people who we are talking ex- to each other. Yeah, and there was already people. But I think I think what was happening is is that there's there were several different communities yeah. that shared Nightville with each other. I think the tipping point happened because we had. Well, it happened because of Tumblr, and and I think the way Tumblr works now that I've had some time to see yeah. it in action, because at the time I had no idea how Tumblr works, and I'm still learning, but there's this thing about, what happens, you have a lot of different fandoms liking different things, but a lot of them kind of come together on similar issues, you know, there's this kind of like, uh, uh, there's this kind of slash fic and fanfic writing culture, there's people who love Hannibal, there's yeah. people who like making art and posting their drawings of their favorite characters from comic books, from movies, from TV, from books, and um, and sharing those sorts of things. And these are all kind of disparate groups. And I think what had happened was is that there's a small group of people who liked Night Vale and talked about Night Vale and shared it, and we just weren't aware of it on Tumblr. But I think over time, um, th- we didn't realize this was happening, but they were very invested in the Cecil and Carlos storyline. Mm-hmm. And it was the blow-up happened right around... Um, our one-year anniversary when Cecil and Carlos get, got together. And that was just, for us, it was just a progression of the logical, it was a logical pro- progression of the storyline, um, but it was a thing where we didn't we didn't realize that there was a crowd of people that were really, really loving that story. And apparently people writing slash fic, like yeah, Carlos I, and Cecil in love with each other before they were together. I did an image search for Cecil, and, like, yes. it's all, it's all, it's all images that. of them. Yeah. And, I think, and I think that storyline blew up with people like yeah. oh my god I can't believe they're together like, just yeah. people got really excited and then other people were like what are you talking about I've never heard of this yeah. and then it was a whole bunch of that it was a recursive function where it just kept feeding it back to itself like you know here's the answer Nightville what is Nightville oh I feed it back into that and then you take it and then you process it and you send it out and I think it was um, I realize now in retrospect I think that was very important to a lot of people to have that to like you know, it's really great to write slash fic and put yeah. your two, like, straight characters together or whatever, but then yeah. to realize, like, oh, these guys are gay. Like, oh, I see. Like, this is a thing. Like, this is... That's great. Like, that's so nice to have that representation. We heard a lot of that from people. So I think that was really... 
the crowd that got it off the ground. Yeah. That being said, I mean, I think our audience is pretty pretty wide. Like, I think I meet a, I meet a lot of people that are like. Um, that are in their like late twenties through late thirties uh, that are crazy into Night Vale, yeah, and um, and uh, and college age and young twenties and things like that that are in it for just like I really like your dark humor or I really like the storyline or I'm totally into fantasy and I got like I'm into I read a lot of uh, you know Pat Rothfuss books and stuff like that and I saw yeah. him tweet about you guys so yeah. that's really cool and I really love it and John Darnielle is a huge supporter of you guys yeah and John Darnielle yeah. yeah. Um, Around that same time, like John Darnielle mentioned us on Twitter, and John Green mentioned mentioned us on Twitter, and that, those are huge. I mean, the, the you know John yeah. Green is enormous, yeah. and uh, so I think that helped a lot too. But um, that's basically it. I think it's just people who are into weird fiction, and nowadays, yeah. Serial has done that for us. Yeah, I want I wanted to actually t- to talk about Serial, and and par- partially from the standpoint of of you know them. Um, Picking up this again idea of episodic radio yeah. and, and running with it, and obviously being a huge mm-hmm. success. But, but something that I don't think a lot of people are talking about uh, right now that's really interesting to me. It's something that I've just been thinking about in, in my own career, my my, my own life. This is is the, just the, the notion of success. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of uh, I've talked to uh, I went to school with uh, Jesse Thorne, who has hmm, a very sure, yeah. successful podcasting. Uh, podcast thing. He's gonna he's gonna appreciate sure. that I call it a yeah. podcast. Thing. Yeah, uh-huh. a little podcast. Sure. Yeah, yeah. tiny uh, little thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the the notion of the no, the notion of success, the notion of how you frame success, uh, how relative it, of an idea it is. When serial, ser- obviously, serial is a massive success by any yeah. any media standard at yeah. all, pretty much. But but it was re- it was weird for me as somebody who's been doing podcasts all over the place for you know. At least like a decade at this point, to um, to not not see it covered in the New York Times. I don't think that's a strange thing at all. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys, were, you know, NPR covered you, and you guys yeah. were covered all over the place. And a lot, a lot of podcasts have, have had that coverage. But the notion and and NPR or NPR, uh, New York Times raised this: the notion of this of serial being the podcast that a like the first really successful podcast. Mm-hmm. And the podcast that maybe legitimizes the form. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know, am I living in a bubble? It's strange for me. It's strange for me that somebody comes along and, oh, okay, now podcasts, podcasts are an okay I th- thing. I think it's weird. I think it is partially that living in a bubble thing, right? Like, the, I have this thing all the time where Joseph and I talk about, like, I'm so dumb about music. Like, yeah. I, a lot of times, like, Joseph will introduce me to a musician and I don't know anything about him. He'll just, he'll put him on the weather. Or I'll yeah. listen to him. Yeah. And um, I have no idea if they're crazy popular or not. Or sometimes I'll, um, somebody will, I'll hear somebody, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be surfing Bandcamp and I'll find a musician. I have no idea how big that musician yeah. is. Yeah, um, like I found Sturgill Simpson on Bandcamp. Yeah. Got all excited. I'm like, I'm going to have him be the way. I realized like he was the top, like one of the top acts of like 2014 yeah. or whatever. And so I, there's this like bubble thing where you, you don't realize that some band you love has gotten enormous because you're just so you're not really thinking about the music scene you're just thinking I like this one thing and the podcasts are like that too right? yeah. like we all have been so interested in podcasts and so invested in all of that for so long that we just feel like this is huge like right yeah. like like to me 
I would say like to me like Julie Klausner is a celebrity you know what of I mean course. like that, yeah, that, yeah, in yeah. my mind like yeah. I mean she is in and of her own right but there's this thing where like in in my mind like she's huge like she's yeah. an enormous figure but it's the parents question in yeah. my world but, no they have no idea yeah. and maybe hopefully her uh, her and Billy Agner's sitcom yeah, yeah. yeah uh, takes off or whatever and has that thing but and she is a true true celebrity but yeah. there's this thing where like yeah that's that's the thing that happens in my little bubble of a world yeah. right like that that I think this world of podcasting is bigger than it is or that people should know uh, what Jordan Jesse Go is yeah. or something like that. So yeah, you're. I think you're right in that way that it seems weird that Serial's not the first like successful podcast, but it is the first one where like... My parents know podcasting because of Nightdale, but they're not listening to other podcasts. Mm. But then my parents suddenly started... Like, the thing that made them listen to something other than Welcome to Nightdale is Serial. Yeah. You know, or that gives them a, an opinion. Or friends that are, you know... Uh, I met some friends after a show. Uh, my wife and I went to go watch some uh, uh, some theater the other night. And some uh, woman who was acting in the show and her husband came by and... Uh, we were talking about acting, and they're like, "Oh, are you actor?" And I tried to describe what Nightville was, yeah. and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. "I'm a writer, but I'm doing this thing." And they're like, "Oh, okay, that sounds great." Podcast. Um, we started listening to Serial. I was like, "Oh, I hope you like it." And they're like, oh, yeah. "When they're like, well, we've only listened to the first episode. Yeah. Do they solve it?" And I was like, "Just listen to the thing." <laughs> but but yeah. that's taken some of the onus off of you that yeah. you don't have to. You no longer have to explain what because that was always it makes so my job so much work. easier yeah. to explain. Yeah. 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 The the, 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 the the flip side of that, and this is like, you know, this is a sort of growing up listening to punk rock collecting uh-huh. zine, zines in yeah, me, yeah. but, but the, the flip side of that is, you know, I, I wonder how much longer a show like Night Vale will be able to become... Is it safe to say overnight success? I mean, in some mm. senses. I mean, a, a very, very, very fast success mm. to, to really sort of skyrocket up to the top of the iTunes charts. Um, there, there, there's always been some corporate involvement, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I, 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 part of the reason why I do the show the way I do is because I, you know, I feel like podcasts are sort of have been an afterthought, and it's it's people turning radio into taking yeah. the old medium and turning into the medium, right? Yeah. Um, so there, there's always been, you know, NPR has always played a role. These, these other places have always played a role, but you know, I'm wondering if podcasts really become legitimized, how much longer can a couple of Guys, you know, just recording on their snowball mics, skyping yeah. to each other. You know, how much longer is is the playing field going to be level for that much longer? I, I I hope so. I mean, I I do I do think this is still a great time to like start a podcast, yeah. get into a podcast, things like that. I mean, I I think um, I mean it is battling for attention. It makes it harder yeah. for that for that way. I mean that that's the thing about you know where it. We're about to post episode 63 on Sunday, so we don't quite have the volume of episodes that other people who do, uh, like Mark Marin or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But the, um, uh, but we, so you are battling for attention in that way. But I, I, I do think it's a slow build, and I think if you you build a volume of things, I think there's there's room for, I think there's room for that to happen again. But I, I don't know how to reverse engineer it. You do, yeah. you do need like some kind of special magic that gets yeah. that builds a level of popularity from a small core group, and then I think something that elevates it. And for yeah. us, it was completely accidental. Just a plot point that we found elevated it. But there, there, there needs to be something for somebody to talk about. And I think that corporations getting involved in that are, are all going to try and find out sure. how to do that. But. The other thing that, that happened with Night Vale that, that 
it's we weren't the only fiction podcast out there, and yeah. probably not the only fiction serial podcast out there. But we uh, are like ongoing podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think that there's there's a dearth of that in podcasting because the people who are filling up podcasting were comedians and radio people, mm-hmm. um, people who are comfortable holding a microphone yeah. and talking, and people who are writing fiction. Yeah. Or theater yeah. are writing it in books or for the stage, and they're not. They weren't writing podcasts, and, and I'm hoping more of those people go and write that, even if it is a corporately funded Stephen King podcast or yeah. whatever. But I do think moving, if that moves more writers into the form, that makes for more interesting uh, audio drama, and, and, and audio drama is very restricting in a lot of ways. Um, but a lot of times, that makes some really cool art. You yeah. can do some really cool stuff with that. Yeah. It. It. Um yeah, th- th- that's something. I, that didn't again, answer your success question. I was just talking about artistic success, oh, no, but I wasn't talking about like the blow. I don't, I don't know, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's enough people involved that more people know about it. That I think you may not have the explosiveness of yeah. it, but I think you can find backing in yeah. a way that maybe it's not Tumblr blowing up, but maybe it's doing something long enough that, like, you know, right when we were blowing up. You know, we had some people who ran, you know, podcast networks talking to us about joining podcast networks, and that's a level of great success for somebody. And we chose not to only because we were trying to keep independent, and we thought that that you know we could do different yeah. things. And I'm glad we did, but that could have actually blown up in our face. But uh, it worked out really well for us. But I think getting to join, say, uh, a Max Max Fun, yeah. or getting to join a, a Nerdist, or, or getting Earwolf, to join or Earwolf yeah. or Radiotopia or any of those things. Those are really great networks for people, and those are really great ways to get that get that out. Criminal is another great podcast that had a recent blow up. The Read is another one that had like a sudden blow up yeah. very early on in their run, and yeah, yeah, those are those are some interesting. I think there's still room for that. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and this this is always the 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 issue with art is you know it's if you want to if you if you want to make an impact as somebody and and you know and you're not starting off being Adam Carolla you know if you're not yeah. <laughs> you're not starting off being an already famous person getting into podcasting then you've got to you've got to do something completely mm. unique yeah but the flip side of that is you run the success and i'm sure plenty of very talented very very smart people have just not found their group yeah you you found you found your group of people and yeah. it happens to be a extremely large group of people yeah yeah or they found us yeah you know before they came along we had found us a very small very different group of people though i mean they were they were they were more our age they were kind of more in the late 20s to early 40s demographic they were mostly men you know like we were looking at our like the people that send us a couple bucks on paypal to like oh if you like the show donate a few bucks or whatever and looking at the names like it it shifted from being like 70 percent men to uh to like 60 percent women you know the names yeah. you know and this make again i'm making gender assumptions yeah. but i feel like i'm i'm okay uh in doing that for that purpose but the um yeah i think that that it, it was interesting so it was and you know and it's kind of balanced out more but i again that's that's something that's almost impossible to control right it's you you really can't unless you were if you're being so targety with your demographic it's going to show through. You're going to yeah. look like somebody seeking a demographic. And I, I do think the one thing that I that I have a hard time with, with fiction that happens on television constantly, happens in books, it happens everywhere. Um, and podcasts is such a – fiction on podcasting is such a new form. But it is hard to find people who are writing 
interesting different things that doesn't feel like a short story just read on the air and that's not there's nothing wrong with that but if we're talking about like elevating it to the the next thing I think it has to this American life versus the form yeah it has to use the form in a way that is so utterly compelling and different and I think that there's a lot of room for that in audio yeah it it has to be something that in some ways absolutely can't exist I mean you know you're translating it you wrote a book and you're I assume working on other projects but but it can't exist as what it is yeah. in another form. And, and when we write those other projects, we write them for those yeah. media, right? Like yeah. We write the book to be a novel. We don't write it to be, a, you know, we, would, yeah. we did not write it at all like a podcast episode. We wrote a novel that takes place in the Because we knew we can't write a 400-page long <laughs> podcast episode. That'd be awful. And we have no weather to interrupt us to solve yeah. all the problems because yeah, the yeah, weather yeah. is always the climax and then the epilogue is yeah. what just happened that we missed. Yeah. And, um, Hire an illustrator. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Some images and, um, so, but we, we come from this theater background with the Neo Features, which is experimental theater where you're like, hey, theater's a special thing. Don't pretend like the audience isn't there. Use yeah. them. Yeah. Um, B.S. Johnson, the, the novelist, like used used the novel in such an interesting way yeah. you know the way he hid words the way he used words like the way he laid words out on the paper yeah. to create an aura or feeling um, to suddenly like have a have a story about you know told from the point of view of somebody with uh, senile dementia yeah. um, have as the, as their thoughts become increasingly diff- you know jumping around in time sure. you, you suddenly turn the page and then you find four or five pages that are completely blank yeah and that that sort of thing i'm like that's really mind-blowing the idea of using the novel yeah. like that and yeah. i i think about that constantly when writing and i think i think that's i think that's that's a real key if you want to make something different hmm. that you know stuff yeah i that maybe that maybe that's why your subject matters work so perfectly in the form is because it's so defined by mystery and it's so mm. defined by what's not there and podcasting and radio mm. uh, you only have one instrument you only have sound no. you know so it, it it plays with that really well it, yeah. it plays with the fact that you know with over the space of an hour mm-hmm. you can only explain so much yeah um, the beauty too is is that like even people like and it, I, I I hope it doesn't come off that I'm like shitting on people who aren't like reinventing yeah. <laughs> radio drama I'm, like that's really not it at all because a lot of our success is luck yeah. um, you know I mean obviously we have like I'm not I'm not I'm just I don't mean this in no cocky way but I'm confident as a writer and I feel like we're good writers so like sure. that's good but I I think without some of the luck we we might still be talking about yeah. I mean. I, might not have no having no press coverage and the show is still the same as it was like yeah. there is some luck involved but I um, but I think that but the great thing about it is, is that it's so cheap it's it's really inexpensive to make yeah. podcasts yeah. Um, you, 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 it forces you to focus on all these other talents and um, but the technology is cheap putting it up there is cheap leaving it up there is cheap this idea like if you created like a 20 episode podcast novel yeah that's really all you did was make an audio book and chop it up and throw it out on the internet. But uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good novel. People will find it, and yeah. people have a lot of time. It may take five years for people to find it and really be like, "Have you listened to this? Like, I can't believe you've never listened to this." But yeah, success can just happen at different rates for different people. And there's there, the thing about the, the low barrier of entry is just there's no excuse. No, there's no excuse to not no try something. You've got a story to tell. Try yeah. and make it. I mean, don't. 
don't clutter it up with like venture capitalist yeah. things or you're like, I'm going to make money off a of yeah. podcast because really you have to be good at it to do that. There you go. That was Jeffrey Craner, uh, one of the co-creators of Welcome to Night Vale, along with Joseph Fink. I'm I'm assuming that at this point in the podcast, you don't need me to explain Welcome to Night Vale to you because uh, a you've listened uh, this far uh, into the conversation, and uh, b um, you have access to podcasts. And um, I'm guessing that anybody with access to podcasts is probably uh, pretty familiar with Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, that was a conversation that we had last week. I, I, I pushed it to the the front of the queue just because it you know it's um, you know very uh, very very fresh in my mind and, and I really want to get get it out there. Um, I'm, I'm a little uh, I want to get I I'd, I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear what you guys thought about that one. I I, I always get uh, a little worried that we can get a little little too uh, inside baseball on these things and it doesn't it really honestly doesn't get any more inside baseball when you have two podcasters on a podcast talking. About podcast but i uh, really really enjoyed that conversation really glad that he, that uh, he actually brought up art bell of his own volition because um clearly uh, and i think this came across in the conversation and i have a i have a lot of thoughts about art bell and um art bell is uh, uh coast to coast um is you know one of the things i think that really um I, 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 this is going to sound sort of sort of silly, but uh, I think you know kind of un- unlocks some of the, the possibilities of, of what you could do on on radio. Um, you know, I've got uh, got an interesting history with radio. I, I, I used to station manage a radio station. Um, uh, got like 10, 10, 10 plus years ago now, um, and uh, you know, was, uh, interested in, in what you could do with the form. Um, I, I became uh, very, very disillusioned very, very, uh, very, very quickly in, into that process when I actually um, left our uh, beloved college radio station and went out into the real world. But uh, you know, Art Bell on his uh, little little hill in, in Mount Nevada, I think is, is uh, was at least I, I, I don't know how active he is at this point, but uh, was at least one of the few things out there that was. Um, it really, uh, really sort of encapsulated the, the mystery of uh, the, you know, the. Um, and we, again, we touched on this in the conversation, but this sort of idea of um, uh, these radio waves just kind of wafting in from from another land, you know, things that you you might not ever pick up on again, and that's. Um, I think that's something that uh, that Welcome to Night Vale touches on in a very, very uh, nice way, and I'm glad that we got to talk about that because I haven't really heard him talk about that. I mean, that's. Uh, you know, usually when people are interviewing uh, Joseph and Jeffrey, it's, it's usually a conversation about uh, the Twilight Zone. Which, okay, yeah, I mean, <laughs> granted, we granted we hit on that uh, a, l- a little bit during during our talk. It was sort of unavoidable, but um, I, I I really uh, I, I really respect and appreciate what what they're what they're doing, what they're trying to do with the, the podcast format. Um, in some ways, the the antithesis of what we're what we're doing on this show, but I think, yeah, I think it's a nice thing. I think it's a nice thing about podcasting. So kind of do whatever you want. Uh, so yeah, welcome to Night Vale. It's out there. It's easy to get. Go to iTunes. Probably, it's probably. I'm assuming at this point on the front page. Uh, thank you so much to uh, to Jeffrey for for sitting down and, and, and talking to me. Um, that was uh, that was an instance of me um, just wishing that that I had left the microphones on the whole time because uh, we we, we uh, had that talk in a uh, a tea place in Manhattan and um, I proceeded to. After the, the, the official interview is over, talk for another uh, hour and a half, and I got even deeper, deeper, deeper inside podcasting. So you know, it might, it might be for the best that that thing will uh, will, will not.
don't see the light of day. Uh, so thank you so much to him. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing this thing together. Uh, thanks to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, lots of other shows over there. You can find that over at boingboing.net. You can find it over at iTunes. Um, again, where you can also find Welcome to Night Vale. And uh, well, where you can also rate the show if you liked what you heard. Uh, give us some, give us, we always, always appreciate some, uh, some, some positive feedback. At this point, it's literally literally i'm asking two things of you one is to you know spread spread around the show if you like it and, and two is to donate it uh so so uh thanks everybody for listening we uh got it. we have a, a a lot of shows a lot of shows lined up we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl 